Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. I am super excited for today's guest, my friend, Tavana, fellow coach. Tavana, tell us about yourself and your work. Well, I think I got to back up because, you know, sometimes people say my friend so-and-so and and they don't really mean it. Like, no, you're talking to me from your apartment that I've actually been in, but you weren't actually there. Your mom was there. So you are really my friend. And we've had a number of conversations since we met. And so I'm excited to dive all the way in. But for the rest of you all, (laughs) I am Tavana Denise, Master Certified Coach. I am a trauma-informed business coach and launch specialist. and My mission is to really help entrepreneurs create big businesses without burning out or compromising their values in the process. So that's a little bit about me. So well said. And so, yes, we actually are friends. And I feel like this is actually a really good story. Just as a reminder for anyone who wants to meet more people is the reason we're friends is I slid into your DMs and I was like, we're going to be friends. And you told me afterwards, you're like, I thought it was a little weird. It was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And we're friends now. And I totally love people. So I was like, yeah, okay. You know, because I live in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. And so people tell me all the time, I'm coming down or I want to come visit and they don't actually mean it. So I just want to say thank you for being a person of your word. Like you meant it. And I love you. Like for real. I love you too. And I think you, I always joke that I totally got the better end of the bargain. I'm like, I took the first step, but then I locked into a life coach, a launch strategist, an event planner. So I'm like, I definitely was winning in this friendship. So thank you too. (laughs) The feeling is mutual. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) It's the best kind of friendship. Okay. So you and I have talked about many, many things, but one of these topics that I think we share in our work is this idea of emotions and specifically emotions that come up when we work on a project, or in your case, on a launch, we have something happen during that experience. And then we shove that aside. We don't necessarily look at it. Maybe we're not ready to look at it. And then the next time that we dig into a similar launch or similar project, we don't get the results that we want a second time. And often it's because we're carrying around so much of that negative experience and it's really simmering under the surface. So I know you have experience with this. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Personally and professionally, right? So yeah. I think the biggest way that it comes out, and so whenever I talk about launching, we can just say project, we can say book, because I've written a book. It happens the same way. Like we have something that we're trying to create, period. Whether that's a clean garage, finishing a book, doing a launch and getting people into it. And oftentimes, at least it's been my experience and those of my clients, that we go into it excited, Hmm. expectant. We are optimistic, hopeful, all of these beautiful, yummy, delicious, good, feel good in our body, feel good in our brain emotions. And then 
our stuff comes up or then it's a little more challenging than we thought it would be or it takes a little bit longer than we thought it would or yeah. we don't exactly get the response that we thought we would from our potential clients or our family members and mm -hmm. then the thoughts change from this is going to be great this is going to be exciting like we stop having those thoughts about the project and then we start feeling other ways maybe it's frustrated defeated hopeless all of these things yeah. and the experience of doing the thing becomes so heavy i think heavy with residual emotion like we start putting all of these the quote unquote negative i try not to say negative and positive but for the purpose of this conversation i'll use that the yeah. negative emotions feel heavy and they're like putting a big heavy ass rock in a book bag and then we carry it around and we carry it around and we carry it around and we wonder why it's so difficult to get ourselves to get up the next day and do the thing or go to the desk and do the thing. It's because we keep putting these rocks in our book bag and we never stop to like take the book bag off for a second, look at the rock. Do I like this rock? Do I wanna keep carrying it around? Is it helpful? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so that's been my experience. As things happen, unconsciously under the surface, we start having opinions about what happens. Yeah. And then those opinions make us feel a certain way. And then it just becomes more and more difficult as the book bag gets heavier. And so that's what I noticed. What would you say about that? I think that analogy is perfect. And I would say that then the backpack is so heavy. And then our brain goes, see, the backpack's always heavy. And the actual thought that pops into people's brains is like, see, here we are again. I'm doing it again. I'm just like this, mm -hmm. right? So like in my example, if you're a procrastinator and then you like map out this perfect project plan and then you don't follow it, your brain goes, see, it's just like last time. Mm -hmm. And then it uses that as a reason to either slow down or to quit. Right. And I'm so glad I came up with this analogy <laughs> because it's perfect. whenever you work with a life coach or someone like you, Christina, or me, it's like, hey, you just are walking around with a heavy backpack and let's take it off for a second and let's have a look, see, and let's lighten the load a bit and keep walking. It doesn't mean sit down, stop, don't ever do it. Let's just take some of those rocks out of the bag. And I think that's really the difference that life coaching made in my life was I didn't realize how much crap I was carrying around from my past yeah. that was making my present so heavy and so difficult. And even I just got coached earlier this morning and just having that coach look at it with me and just tell me like, oh, I see how you're looking at this story. I see the opinions you made about this that make this feel so heavy. And as soon as she reflected it back to me, I was like, it was like, nothing's wrong with me. That makes perfect sense. Now I know why I feel so crappy about this thing. Yes. And I can totally see it a different way. Like both can possibly be true, but which one feels better? Right. And I think what's really important in what you just said is it's not about automatically just like thinking positively. It's about taking that moment to go, oh, it makes sense that I'm feeling negatively. Not jumping to positivity, but just that moment of compassion and empathy and understanding where you're like, yeah, it makes sense that this launch has sucked. It makes sense that this project has sucked. 
everything in me is overcompensating for the mistakes that I think I've made in the past or for the like negative experiences that I have not cleared up from the past. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And I'm glad you said that too, because it makes me think about, and you said we have permission to talk about this. So when you and I were coaching on this before, like with your launch in your group program, when we do do the thing, like sometimes we do finish a project, we carry it all the way to completion. And then the next leg of the project, something happens that's not so positive or pleasant. And then the next time it's time to do it again, let's take it off of launching in business for a second. Let's say we're an author and we're writing a book (laughs) and we write the first book and then something happens in the process that doesn't feel positive or pleasant, then it would make perfect sense why we would procrastinate and avoid that experience the next time. We could love writing, but sometimes it's like the writing or the project itself is not the problem. It's the presenting it to the world that becomes the quote unquote problem. So we might be a project finisher, but then the presenting it to the world becomes the problem, which then affects our desire to do the next project or our ability to do the next project, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. Let's go there. I'm already going to get emotional, which is twofold. So I cry on every single episode of the podcast pretty much at this point, but also there's something about being around you and like just going back to that experience that makes me feel this comfort and relief, but it makes me emotional. So I'm going to cry. It's fine. Um, (laughs) So here's what we're talking about specifically. So I hired Tavana for like a one day intensive. So it was what, three hours. Mm-hmm. You had told me 10 times. You had told me so many different stories of so many different people anonymously, of course. And you were like, yeah, I have to have it be a three hour thing because if it's shorter than that, then we don't have time for the inevitable emotional outburst <laughs> that happens along the way. You're like, every single time I work with someone, we get into the strategy and then we hit some sort of past experience that brings up emotion for them that they then have a, I don't think you said the word meltdown, but essentially they have an emotional meltdown. Release. Release. Let's yes. call it a release. <laughs> better. Much better. <laughs> they have an emotional release and then we can actually then get to the strategy in a much more effective way, in a way that's actually going to work. I had mm-hmm. heard you say this like 10 times and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Not me. I'm just going to do a strategy, which is hilarious because I'm the biggest crier ever, but I somehow deluded myself into thinking that I was just going to come over to your house with my laptop and we were just going to sit and talk strategy for three hours. I had not one, but two emotional releases, if you will. The first one was relatively minor. The second one was just me wailing like a child while also trying to coordinate our Uber food that had gotten lost in Mexico. <laughs> was it also raining during that time too, I think? Uh, probably. Yeah. It was a mess. It was so insanely cathartic though, because here's what it was. You helped me see these things that were happening in my launch that were subconsciously making me hold myself back So even though I was showing up every day and I was doing the plan and I was doing what I said I was going to do, it wasn't quote unquote working to the level that I wanted it to. And I couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. And then we went back to this experience that I had in my business and you were like, that's why you are trying to protect yourself from creating that same experience again. So then I was putting up 
what is your phrase? You want to introduce this? <laughs> Militant boundaries. <laughs> Militant boundaries. So how do you describe that? So there's the boundary where we draw a line in the sand and say, here's what I'm available for. Here's what feels appropriate or good to me to do. And if X, Y, or Z happens, or if person does X, Y, or Z, then I'm going to remove myself from the situation or I, right? It's not like an ultimatum where the other person has to do something. It's what we will do to take care of ourselves if X, Y, or Z happens. Yeah. But what I was noticing for you, and it was still a protective, it was from a very loving, but misplaced space yeah. of, okay, like you're being mean to me and I'm not going to take up with it. So it felt very hard and harsh, like fighting really yeah. felt like I'm fighting here for my life because I don't feel safe. That's the undertones of everything that we talked about that day. And I was like, okay, there's a boundary and there's a, I don't feel safe. Yeah. Like there's, I'm not going to tolerate this and I have enough respect for myself and you where I'll just remove myself and I don't feel safe. And I think that's really what was the crux of the militant boundary concept that I came up with. Yeah. And the way you described it too is that it was this push-pull as I was launching. So I was trying to invite more people into my community while also subconsciously believing that the more people I had in my community, the more opportunities I had to feel hurt. And so I was putting myself out there and I'm creating content and I'm on social media and I'm sending emails while at the same time, again, subconsciously feeling the need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. in the event that let's say I accidentally invited someone into my community who could then hurt me. Totally. And once we could see that, then it became, oh, okay, let's just take a look at that. Let's just soothe that part of you that needs to feel safe here and now with yourself. And let's also put on CEO hat and say, in the event that this happens in the future, how do I want to handle this? This is where we can make a boundary from an empowered place. Yeah. Which is so wild because I've had so many moments since then where I've had a client interaction that I can see so clearly a year ago or two years ago would have spun me out and I would have been so upset about it. And now I can be like, oh, they're a little upset with me or like, oh, they're a little upset with the program. And I'm very not dismissive. I'm very much like, okay, I am okay. I am stable and I can be here to support them as their coach and I can help them sort through what needs sorting through, but I'm not here to take on their emotions. And that was only because of the work that you and I've done for sure. Yeah. And I think it's also important to bring it back to like, this can happen when we're doing projects around the house. You know, when we're doing projects in our work where we think that people are attacking us and they're attacking our character and our creativity and our work, and it really puts us in a defensive place. And sometimes, and this has just been my own work in the last few years of, okay, when I feel activated or triggered, both terms are used in the trauma world, what in me needs to be healed? What in me is speaking up? What in me is saying, help, alert, mayday, something's going on here. Please look at me. I feel some kind of way. And so often we turn the finger and we say, so-and-so's being a jerk or so-and-so's being mean to me. And if people are just truly being buttholes, then 
that is a thing. Draw the boundary. Like you're not allowed to speak to me this way. I will not be speaking to you. I will not be around you. That's one thing. Yeah. But also, why does that bother us? Like I am all about us being unstoppable and powerful beyond measure and not to allow people to treat us any old kind of way, but to also, I think that's what we're talking about here. The difference between boundaries and militant boundaries. I think the militant boundary comes up when we're in the fight response and we need to protect ourselves from hurting us and not feeling safe versus you're legitimately being a jerk and you're speaking to me in a way that I just don't tolerate. Yeah. Well, I think it's both and like you said, where it's you can both do the outward facing boundary where you like have the conversation with the person or you tell them what you're willing and not willing to put up with. And then also always taking the opportunity to go, and what is this in me? Right? Someone else in my situation might not be triggered by this, might not be upset by by this. It's okay that I am, but why am I? Mm-hmm. What is this reminding me of from the past? Or what is this in me specifically, like you said, that needs healing? And I think sometimes we go to one of two extremes. We either, like you said, we just blame the other person. We're like, it has nothing to do with me. Or we completely take it upon ourselves, And it's like, it's just my problem to be solved. And I think that sweet spot is both and. Yes, 100%. Love that. So you work with obviously other clients besides just me who are having emotional releases. (laughs) So I'm curious, if you look at the patterns around your clients who have had a project or in your case, a launch that didn't go as they would have liked it to, what are the symptoms of how it shows up for them in their current launch or project? Oh, I just knew you were going to ask a different question. I love that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I want to answer the question that was in my head first and don't let me forget that one because both of them are beautiful. Perfect. So I've been thinking here lately, if I could help people solve two emotions, like be okay with them, be aware of them, the answers to everything will be solved. Like everybody will be as happy, as healthy, as wealthy as they ever wanted to be. And those two emotions are shame Shame, but how I'm specifically labeling it here is disappointment. Oh, okay. Love it. And rejection. Yes. Because we often don't want to present our projects to the world because we don't want to be rejected. And oftentimes we don't go after certain projects or goals or outcomes because we don't want to feel disappointed. Like, what if I go after it? and I don't get it? Or what if I try again to do insert project and I don't, right? So I think when it comes to emotions, since that's what we're talking about today, is I'm starting to realize, especially with women, and I don't know what this is, maybe it's our social conditioning or whatever, but we are not cool with rejection. It really becomes something that's personal. It's like a personal rejection as opposed to a person's preference. Yeah. Like somebody can prefer jazz and somebody can prefer rock, you know, but we don't do that. We personalize it as you were talking about. And then the disappointment of really owning our desires and really owning what we want. Because if I open up, like I was coaching somebody the other day and I just asked what I thought was a very simple question. What do you want? 
what is your goal for the rest of the year, revenue-wise? And this person slid all around that question. They, like, refused to answer it in the, like, politest way. Because if they were to vocalize, verbalize what it was that they want, the risk of disappointment was possible. Yeah. But how do you feel not having that thing that you want? It's quite possible that you're currently feeling the disappointment that you're trying to avoid. So if disappointment is present either way, we might as well like try something new and possibly get the thing that we actually want rather than settling for whatever. I mean, I love this. And I think that this is the work of every single business owner, like you said, is yeah, disappointment and rejection. And anytime, the way I'll see it with clients is the lower their goal. So they'll say, here's my goal or here's like what the scope of my project. And then they get close to the, like, let's say in in an eight week sprint, they're at week six or seven. And then they're like, I don't think I'm going to hit it. I got to lower the goal. And what I always say is don't lower the goal yet. Let's figure out why you're not hitting the goal first. And see if there are adjustments that we can make to your mindset, to your emotions, to your actions. Let's see if you can still hit that goal. And then if it's not possible, we'll make adjustments after that. But I just see that people are way too fast to lower their goals or to lower their expectations because they don't want to feel that disappointment. Whereas I teach, I'm like, be willing to feel horrifically disappointed because disappointment means that you're going after big things. Totally. And... If you're going to be a fortune teller, you might as well tell the fortune that you're going to hit it at the ninth hour, like every other heroic movie that we see. It's like, come on, they never, ever cut the correct cord of a bomb until there's one second left. Or they never hit the game winning shot until it's like in the air as the clock is going 0.0. Come on now. This is how it is. So why in our most favorite movies? The things that are the most entertaining and exciting, if we want to have an exciting life, right? We love watching that stuff. And we always know they're going to get it at the one second. But why don't we let ourselves let the clock run out? Oh, I love that. Yeah, because I've done this with a launch where I was noticing that sometimes, let's say I'm starting the launch on a Monday and on Sunday night, I'm disappointed. And I'll be like, why are you disappointed, Christina? And I'm like, oh, well, I wish I had better results. And I'm like, that's really interesting. You know, the launch hasn't started yet. I'm like, you've already counted yourself out and we haven't even started the damn thing. And it is the most wild thing to watch happen in my brain. And at this point, I'm just like, yeah, that's just going to happen. Every launch, we're just preparing for it. It's in my plan. I'm like, here's where I'm going to feel defeated and disappointed and then keep going. And I just account for that. But it's so wild to watch me already be disappointed ahead of time before I've even started. Yeah, which I think is so important when we go back to the book bag analogy where people are like, see, there we are doing it again. And there's a difference between see, there we are doing it again. And there's the shame that comes up that you were talking about. Like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I just keep doing the same thing versus see, there we are doing it again. Oh, and this is how I'm going to hold myself this time. Oh, it's just a pattern of mine. Oh, I have new tools to deal with it this time. That's the difference to me if we want to bring shame into the conversation. Right. Yeah. Another trick that I've been doing with myself, and this is mostly with launches, because I would say launches are my biggest source of disappointment in my business. (laughs) Like most other projects I feel pretty solid about. 
with a lot of practice. But one thing that I do is I mark my calendar for the day after my launch, the day after it closes. And I'll be like, I say on my calendar, I'm like, you can have a self-pity day if you need it. If you need it, if you don't hit your goal and you're disappointed, you get an entire day where you're allowed to feel self-pity. But there's something to me about scheduling that where I'm like, I'm not going to go there right now. I'm not going to spend time there right now. Yeah. I'm like, the launch isn't done. Let's get back to it. And then I'm prepared to deal with the disappointment if it comes, but I don't have to spend any more. I'm totally stealing that. Totally. Because the way I use it is the reverse. We have a day of celebration regardless of the outcome. Mm. Because you did it. There's so many things to celebrate. And I think as we move projects down the line, right, there are, depending on the project, there are so many skills that we need to, to make use of. There are so many emotions that we need to be processing. And I don't think enough of us celebrate all of the pieces, all of the things that have to happen in order for a project to actually get completed. And so all we're used to doing is taking the whip out and beating ourselves on the back saying what we didn't do. And I'm like, hello, even if we didn't get the actual outcome we were looking for, look at all of this amazing stuff that we created, that we accomplished, that we processed this time, that we weren't, you know, it's so many things to celebrate. So totally barring that. Yeah, that is so helpful. And I think to incorporate, I think for me, it would work to have a a potential self-pity. I don't even use it the majority of the time. I don't think I've ever used the entire day of self-pity because by the time it comes around, I I do go into celebration mode. Yeah, I'm like, look at all that I accomplished, but I like having the self-pity day. And then I think I would put the celebration day the day after to be like, okay, you've had the self-pity. Now it's a celebration. And to your point, like I'll think about a launch and I'm like, look at all this email content that you created for the next launch and look at all the interest that you generated for the next launch. And it's like letting myself bring attention to the things that are not just the dollar amount in my bank account today. And I love that you said for the next launch, because depending on the project, so many of us are like, we put all of our dreams and hopes and everything into this one project, like this one launch is going to make or break my business. And I'm always curious, like, how long do you plan to be in business for? You're kind of young. You're 10 years younger than I am. And I plan on being in business for quite a while. So if we plan on being in business for the next 30, 40 years. What's the rush? We got time. Every launch in this case is the setup for the next launch. Yeah. Right. And so when people specifically when it comes to launching, when people first encounter you and you're drumming up this buzz and excitement around what it is that you do, everybody's not coming the first time. Some people are hiding behind the bushes trying to see how it turns out. So if you quit halfway or if you become disgruntled and resentful, they're like, oh, I knew it wasn't safe. I knew it wasn't safe. So we have to be that place where we're having excitement. We're grounded. We're okay. Because all we're going to do is figure out what happened. We're going to test. We're going to track. We're going to tweak. And then we're going to do it again. And this is how we build momentum to become the Picassos of the world. All of the people that we admire, the Oprahs of the world. All of these people who are amazing at their craft, amazing at their business, they have multiple iterations of what they do. And so we got to kind of keep the long game and the short game in mind. We have this sprint, but then we also have, okay, context. Like 
we're going to be doing this for a while. So this is not my only launch. <laughs> this is, if you're a writer, this is not your only book. This is not the only bookshelf we'll put together. Maybe we'll have that bookshelf that was kind of lopsided that fell apart when we put, but by the end we'll be a master woodworker, you know? So yeah. it's like long and short game, long and short game. Yes. So I teach obviously eight week sprints. And then I also teach a concept called project 18, which is this idea that when you do an eight week sprint back to back over the course of three years, you have 18 projects, which you know about, because we've talked a lot about this is like the project 18 movement. And if you do the math of like everyone in the peak community times 18 projects, it's thousands of projects. Like I think at one point it was 81,000 projects done by passionate, incredible people who are changing the world, which blows my mind. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it's the best. It like makes me so excited. That is so motivating to me. And this idea of like, I'll have clients who come in and they're working on their first project using the methods that I teach and they're so hard on themselves, right? And so we're crunching the data and let's say they miss two project blocks it's like, to your point, that matters. Like it matters to look at that and figure out why and, and change what needs to be changed. And I'm like, the version of you three years from now, I promise you, she is not thinking about the two project blocks that you missed the week of August 1st, 2022, right? She's thinking of how much you've grown as a human and all of the impact you've had and all the social capital that you've built and the revenue and the people you've helped. Like it's just... Yeah, you won't be in those small details. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just love it. And to be fair, we're saying something that is a little bit easier said than done, mm -hmm. right? Because that's why I got coached this morning. Like, that's why I have coaches. I have to have people outside of me to remind me who I am, remind me of my brilliance, remind me of my goals, remind me of what I've done, because I forget. When we are raised to value being a productive human being versus a human being, then it's always about, well, what did you get done? And what did you produce? And da, 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 da. And it's always about the next thing as opposed to, okay, like in the moment, look how amazing you are. One of the exercises that I've been working on with myself and clients lately is looking at, you know, I use the little version of ourselves so much in the coaching just to soothe and heal that person who's crying out for our own attention and validation so we don't need it from the rest of the world. But yeah. also, when you are a person, I consider myself to be type A, very driven, and I used to be very hard on myself to get that done. I now look at little Tavana and ask her to tell me what she thinks about a life where we make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, where we live in another country, where we are becoming fluent in Spanish, where we can fly whenever we want to. Like, she is freaking amazed. Like, I'd sold my car. But before, she would say, you have what kind of car? And it can go how fast? And you can drive it by yourself? You don't even have to wait for your mom? Like, I let her go bananas in excitement about all the things that we have created because so often we forget how awesome and amazing we are and the things that we have done because we're looking at everybody else. Yeah. Well, we're looking at everyone else and we're looking at the future version of ourselves and using it against ourselves, right? Like I, I talked about 
the gap and the gain a lot with my clients, which is a concept from the book by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. Mm. And it's this idea of like, you can have this idealized future self version that is incredible and inspiring and productive and finishes 18 projects. That's not a project to have that visual of that future version of you. But where you get in trouble is where you then use that against yourself is like, I should already be there, which a story I'm very familiar with in myself, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's then encouraging you to look at how far have you come versus how far away are you? And this idea, you totally made me tear up thinking of little Tavana because I, I even do this with like the 18 year old version of myself. So I live in Washington, DC now back from Mexico and I'm friends with my freshman year roommate and we were on a roof watching the fireworks and I just turned to her and I was like, our 18 year old selves would be so freaking proud of us and thrilled. Like we're on a roof in our thirties in Washington, DC. And I'm like, she works at like a fucking amazing job. I'm a full-time procrastination coach. And I was like, this is so cool. So I love that reminder for us to be like, where are all the areas where we're excelling, where we used to dream of being exactly where we are right now? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's how we create amazing stuff in our lives, not from a place of shame and there's something wrong with me because you're amazing right now. Yeah. So I want to circle back to the questions you actually wanted to ask me of some of the, the symptoms. I'm so proud of myself for holding that thread. Well done. You the thread holder in our conversation. <laughs> yeah, I like my brain sees all these open loops and I'm like, no, we got to go back there. We got to go back there. We got to go back there. But no, you're doing a great job managing. I'll just sit back and relax. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about the symptoms that kind of show up when we're in that place. And I forget exactly how you phrase the question. But the answer that comes to mind is, we avoid. This is where the procrastination comes in. We're avoiding doing the thing that's on our calendar or we don't put it on our calendar or we don't look at it at all. It just goes under the rug and we just don't. I remember my mom and I cutting out this pattern to make an outfit, like to sew an outfit years ago. And there it remains. It probably is still in our house. We just procrastinated till it was no longer a thing. But what sparked that? Thoughts about this is too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. This is going to be ugly when it finishes. And then, of course, as I grew, oh, it's obviously I'm too big for it now. It's not going to fit because I was a little girl. So the symptom is we're avoiding the task. But that action is really driven by all of the things that we're telling ourselves about said project. Then the other one that I would say is watching the pot boil. Like I'm checking it all the time. I'm looking at the data Mm. all the time. I'm checking text messages. Did they respond? We see this in dating too. Like, is he responding? (laughs) You can't even have a life because we're so immersed into the project, like really overly driven. And then the push pull that you described before, where it's like, I kind of want it. I'm kind of doing the things, but it's this back and forth that I feel. So I would say that. And then also like a little bit of a fighting back to the militant piece. So we either avoid when we're freezing, we're fighting when we're putting up like the militant boundaries. And sometimes I'll just call it how it is arguing with our coach or the person that we paid to get help with. I've done that with personal trainers, like argue with them about something that I asked to get help with. (laughs) Uh, running away from it. Like we just ghost the process or we ghost the project. Right. It was like, yeah, we're just not going to look at that. (laughs) 
And then sometimes when we talk about the emotional baggage, right, we'll go along with it, but know that something's a little bit off or misaligned and not take the time to take a look at it. So I think those are some of the symptoms that I see. I'll say it this way, when people are actually having something come up for them during the process that really isn't something that's fixed easily with strategy or logistics. Yeah. And I would add into the one that I mentioned before, which is like lowering the goal, which is not, again, not a bad thing. It's when you're doing it from like, oh, I'm not going to hit it. Mm -hmm. I never hit it in the past. I don't want to feel disappointed. So when you were talking, the thought that kept popping up to me was, I don't want to feel that way again. Mm. It's too painful to go back there. It's too painful to feel that way again. It's like everything that you said, like every thought and then the avoidance, I think the common thread there is it's too painful. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. We circle back to the book bag, right? So if we don't know that we're just putting things in heavy rocks in our book bag, heavy negative emotions in our book bag, and we just feel the weight of the book bag, but we don't even know, like we might've started out with an empty book bag that we didn't even know was on our back. And then these things happen and we we think the thing put the heavy rock in our book bag, but we don't even know that the rocks are being put in the book bag. And then now all of a sudden we know that it's heavy. We don't know why it's heavy. And that makes sense where we're like, okay, every time I do insert thing, like every time I do a project, it just starts to feel heavy. And I have no idea why. I just know it's heavy. So I don't want to go there because it's heavy. And all we're suggesting is it's heavy because there's some heavy rocks in the book bag that you didn't know were there, that if you just take a look at them, you may potentially lighten the load. Yeah. To me, like the number one way to do this is coaching, right? Because you have that human that you're talking to and you're like, here's everything that's circulating for me. Here's my entire experience, right? And then the coach, a skilled coach is going to ask you follow-up questions, right? It's going to help you see it in a way that you have not yet seen it. And then obviously you mentioned talking to that little version of yourself. Do you have any other like techniques or strategies if someone is finding themselves in this place? Well, the simplest thing, if you're going to try to do it yourself, first of all, I would say, make sure that you feel safe to do that work. That's the first thing. If not, seek help. Yeah. But if you feel safe to do this work and explore some of this stuff on your own, one of the simplest things that you can do is, for example, pick a project an unfinished project or a project that you want to do and just write about it. Yes. What do I think? I just word vomit all over the page, all of the thoughts about it. And why this works is because sometimes when it's running around in our head, we cannot look at it objectively. But when it's written on paper, then there's literally space from it that then you can go back with a more calm presence and look at it and say, well, is that necessarily true? Is there any other way that I might be able to see this? Right. Those are just a couple of simple ways to start looking at the rocks in the book bag. Yeah. And then I love that. I would say then the other simple thing, since I do the work with the little versions of ourselves and the little version could be, like you said, 18, it could be 25. It doesn't have to be a child, but 
I do like to pick a version of myself that's, you know how when you look at a picture of a little kid and you go, oh, I like to find that version of myself. Like what's the youngest version where I look at that picture like, oh, and you just want to hug them and protect them and love on them. And they, they don't have to pay any bills. They don't have to make their bed, wash the dishes. They don't have to cook. They don't have to do anything. All they're there for is to be. They are a hundred percent worthy and valued and enough right then. And then I remind myself that I am that person. And I am worthy and valuable and enough for everything that I want right now. Because nothing's changed. That soul is still there. I'm just a little bit taller. Hair's a little bit grayer. That kind of thing. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. I'll just add one more thing that I just started assigning for Half Finished to Done Live at the very beginning, like before we do the project inventory, before you make a project plan, before any of that tactical work. I have you write a letter to yourself and I talk about a few different ways that you can do it. Like you can write it from your future self to your present self or from your present self to a younger version of yourself. But one of the questions that I have clients look at because I know so many people come into my program feeling like they've messed up in the past is what are all of the things that you perceive that you messed up? Like all your fuck ups (laughs) and you just write about those. And so like, I'll use this example. I'm working with a client who had a past business that she's really, really, really convinced she messed up, Mm -hmm. right? That she like had to leave, that she like closed down the business and it didn't go how she wanted it to go. And so it's like every single thing, I can just watch everything in her current business is subconsciously designed to overcompensate for all of her past perceived failures. Oh, wow. Right? Which is exhausting because you're constantly trying to pay penance for that version of you who you think messed up. And so instead of trying to convince yourself like, oh, everything happened like it was supposed to, which is a leap for most people. I'm like, no, go talk to that version of yourself and be like, hey, I think you fucked up. And here's how. And then that version of you has an opportunity to respond and be like, okay, here's what was going on for me that you weren't seeing. Here's what was happening for me in my life circumstantially. Here's what was happening for me with my emotions. Here's what was happening for me in my skill sets. Like here's why things went down the way that they did. And then another question I tell my clients to ask themselves is like, do you want to forgive yourself? And if so, how will you do that? That's beautiful. Very cathartic. Somebody asked me, they're like, how do I know when I'm done? Like, is there a word count? And I was like, you're done probably when you cry. (laughs) I was like, for me, if there's tears, I know I'm done. (laughs) I know I've reached that release. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a perfect place for us to tie a bow around this because it's all about that release, right? If we're thinking about the rocks in the book bag, so many of us are carrying around a bunch of emotions from our past experiences that are affecting our present and future projects. And for many of us, we have been taught that emotions are not something that we talk about or that we express. And I think that's a beautiful exercise that you give your clients because if we don't release those emotions, there's no space for the other emotions. There's no space for the other things that we want in our lives. Yeah. I am thinking about like being in the minds of somebody listening and being like, 
that's nice, but like, let's get to the strategies. And I want to just emphasize here how insanely valuable it is to slow down and take the time to do this emotional release work because one, the strategies that you implement after will become so much more clear. You'll be like, oh, oh, I was doing so much stuff. I was taking so much action and now I just need to do this one thing and that becomes more clear. But in addition to it becoming more clear, it becomes so much more effective. Like whatever Mm -hmm. strategy you want to implement after the fact will actually work as opposed to you trying to implement things and not feeling like they're clicking or sticking. What are your thoughts on that? You won't be exhausted afterwards because you won't be fighting yourself and lugging around a heavy old book bag full of emotions that don't no longer have a place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and you and I are very much similar in that. It's like, we're all about the strategy. Like, please don't misunderstand this conversation because I am a person who didn't cry for decades. It had no place. It had no usefulness. I don't have time for that. I got stuff to do. And it was also very exhausting. And so if you've tried it that way and you are exhausted, and you would like to try it a different way to have what you want and not be so tired, I am, for Christina, going to invite you to join Have Finished to Done and learn a new way. Like, if nothing else, try it for one round and learn some new tools. Put some new tools in the book bag and take some of the heavy rocks out. And it is one of those things where she is very strategic And so am I. And we're going to bounce back and forth between the strategy and the emotion, because obviously we need to sometimes get start taking action to see what comes up in the taking of the action so that we can address that. So, again, it's a both and not an either or. Oof. All of that was so well said. Thank you so much for doing my promo for me. I appreciate it. (laughs) And that last piece of what you said, which is you're so right. It's like you put yourself in an eight-week container and you're like, I'm going to start doing the assignments. I'm going to start working on my project and all my BS will come up and that will help me know exactly what to work on and work through. But to your point, it's not about like, okay, I need to work through all these emotions in order to even start a project. I'm like, oh no, the emotional work happens simultaneously as you're taking action on your project. So thank you for emphasizing that. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm finding my middle. I've never been a woo. I'm very spiritual. I'm starting to understand the emotions and the energetic work. And we got stuff to do. I listen to Abraham Hicks and I'm all about manifestation and I meditate, but I'm not going to be on a meditation pillow all day. I live in a 3D world where stuff actually needs to happen. So it makes perfect sense to like come to the project, come to the process with a clean heart and mind and an empowered place that it's easier for me to focus my efforts and focus my energy and be more effective in what I'm doing so that I have time and energy to go live the rest of my life, which a lot of the point of the projects that many of us are doing. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining to talk about emotions. I knew you would be the right person to talk about that. So can you just let people know how they can follow up with you? Oh, absolutely. I am everywhere on the interwebs at Tavana Denise. That's T-A-V as in Victor, O-N-A-D-E-N-I-S-E. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. 
If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done, live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.